All right. I am so excited to be here today with my good buddy, Jason Law. Jason and I get a chance to work together uh, pretty much every weekday. So uh, excited to have you here. Jason has an amazing uh, talent in communications. He runs our communications department at, at our office. Um, uh, and uh, we're going to dive into Jason's family a little bit today because Jason is a dad that has a lot of stuff going on. And uh, if you're a dad that feels overwhelmed or a dad who's struggling with work-life balance or, uh, or a dad of special needs child, uh, this is the episode for you. So, Jason, um, why don't you just introduce yourself to our audience today? Yeah, absolutely. Excited to be here. You know, my name is Jason Law. So we did meet a few years ago. Uh, you became my boss and uh, we got to work together quite a bit. So you're getting a bonus day today with me. Um, but I am married to my much better half. Her name is Lindsay. Uh, she is what helps keep me on the straight and narrow um, and keeps our family on that path as well. Um, if it was just up to me, I don't know what kind of chaos that we would be in. Um, but I do have three children. I've got my oldest is my son. His name is Easton. He's six. Uh, my middle child, her name is London. She is four. Uh, and then my youngest, her name is Josie, and she is three. And she was born with Down syndrome. So she is our, our special needs child, um, and that has been quite a fun adventure. I mean, I, I will have a lot of positive things to say about it um, along the way, but that is, that is our family. That is our group. I am always jealous of people like you that can have, you know, six kids and be able to make it because after, <laughs> after one, I felt like I was drowning. And right. uh, after two, I was like looking up at the surface. And now after three, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I see the light anymore at times. Mayday, yeah. mayday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it is funny. After every child, you realize how much more time you had before the previous child. <laughs> for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So, um, yeah, there's, a, there's a, a lot I want to cover with you today. Um, but I think one of the things that I like to talk about uh, on the podcast is really try and get that sense uh, for somebody that's a new dad or somebody that's going to be a dad. Um, and I just wanted to explore, like, what was it like when you first found out you were going to be a dad? Yeah, I think my, you know, if you ever see the deer in the headlights look, that was probably me, even though I think we were planning to have kids and always knew we were, and we were expecting to have kids around that time period. Uh, the unique part with us is that uh, my wife and I were both working. My wife's dream in life was to be a stay-at-home mom. Mm. Um, and being a stay-at-home mom means that as the dad, you have to be ready to be able to facilitate all of the that. staying at that's home. That's right. That's right. You have to somehow make that work financially and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, at the point when we found out we were having our first child, I don't know that I would have looked at our budget and said, we're ready for this. Ah, yes. Um, and so there was a lot of excitement about having a child and, and being a dad. And uh, especially when we found out we were having a son, um, you know, for me, I grew up playing sports with my dad. My dad was my coach and I was, I've always had these like ideal, idealistic visions of, coaching my son in sports and doing all of this type of stuff. And then, um, you know, so having that was all of really exciting. Um, but at the same time going, okay, we've got nine months to figure out how to make my wife's life goal and dream come true. And there's like one shot at this because once the time has passed, yep. can't really make it happen again. And so, um, you know, probably creeped in a little bit of fear of like, how is this going to work? How, how, is, how are we going to make all of this happen? And there's this probably just mixture of things that I was, walking through in that time. And, um, you know, I think 
we never knew how it was going to work. Um, but I will say when we had my son and we went through the whole process and he was born, there was you know, just overwhelmed with joy um, of welcoming a new f- member into our family. Um, but I will also say the, the early stages were not easy. Yeah. Um, building up to that, I, I kind of knew that the baby stage, and I, don't, I, I assume this is the case for a lot of dads, the baby stage, I, I was like, that's not my favorite stage. Right. There's a lot yeah. of, you know, dirty <laughs> diapers, whatever, but like, drool and uh you know they're just kind of laying there and throwing the ball at them and there's nothing happening for sure it's it's just bouncing (laughs) off his forehead (laughs) exactly and uh what do these things do yeah and but there was a lot of sleepless nights and there was feeding and there was all this work and stuff that came with it that i was like i'm not used to this and so um you know i talked to a lot of people leading up to that and i heard all of these ranging like impressions of how this works and they're like, well, for me, it was when I held my child for the first time. I just knew I was overwhelmed with love and joy and would do anything for this child. Um, and then there were others that were like, well, as soon as the baby got home and it was in our care, I just knew I would do whatever I had to for this child. And uh, for me, that was not the experience. Uh, my wife labored for however many hours and pushed for however many hours to have the first kid. And then uh, I'm holding the kid about three hours later and he's crying in the middle of the night and they, at the hospital we were at did not encourage sending the child to the nursery. Oh, wow. Um, and we're first time parents. So we, we didn't even know we could push back on that. Yeah. No, like, no take in on. the nursery. We're, yeah. we're napping. <laughs> yeah. That was the best part. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah. bring me room service. Oh yeah. Second and third child. We knew how the red button worked yeah, for sure. Go. Yeah. No first child. We didn't know how the red button worked, I guess. And yeah. so I'm sitting there. My wife loves to make fun of me for this because I'm walking around the room about three hours after she's just gone through all of labor and giving birth. And I'm going, I'm going to drop the child. If, I, if you don't take him, I'm going to fall asleep. Oh, my gosh. And so she has to take him right after giving birth. And I'm having to go and lay down and go to sleep. And oh, so oh my gosh. you're probably going to get all sorts of bad comments about yeah. me in that. But that's okay. I, I didn't know what else to do. I was about right, to fall right. over. So Yeah, I can't handle three hours, yeah. let alone nine months. So, yeah, night, <laughs> night one was a struggle. And then it continued on for, yeah, with nine months to a year of sleepless nights. And uh, so luckily my wife took on many of those. Um, yep, yep. But yeah, so that was that was kind of our first experience. Um, I will say at the three-month mark when he was three months old, um, that first three months was really hard. And, and I know there were a lot of nights where I was going, hey, like everyone said like before this, they were like, hey, it's really, it's the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's worth it. And I was telling my wife, I was like, where is the worth it yet? (laughs) (laughs) I see all work and and no worth it yet. And when we hit the three-month mark, I think that was for me when it finally started to shift. And I was like, okay, if I would have known it would have been like this at the three-month mark, I think I could have been a little bit better along the way because I think it all felt like it was going to be, oh, this is the rest of my life now. This is forever is all of this additional work and responsibility. And It's interesting. Uh, Yeah, if we just knew that there's a – there's going to be a next step. Everything yeah. seems like forever. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people can empathize with that. The uh, we, we need those moms around those first few months for sure. 100%. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how they do it. No. So, um, so did you uh, end up accomplishing your goal of having your wife stay home after that? My wife did stay at home. I will tell you, we looked at our budget sheet, and it did not make sense. Um, Every time we work up the math, it did not make sense. Um, This was probably one of the biggest things in our marriage Mm. um, that has just 
uh, shown the faithfulness of God throughout our lifetime. And um, every time it, it wouldn't make sense, somehow we would be able to just make it one more month. And our goal was, hey, we're just going to try this. Yeah. And we're going to see how long it goes. And when we get to the point where it doesn't work anymore, we'll have to make a change. And uh, we would probably go three to six months every time where we would go, okay, at the this six-month mark, it's getting really tight and it's getting hard. And yeah. I don't know how much longer we can do it. And then something would happen, whether it be a promotion or a raise or uh, a job change or whatever it may be. And we'd kind of buy ourselves six more months. And that that really has perpetuated over – the your, six your years. career. Yeah, exactly. The the <laughs> six years that we've had children and um, it's been this constant cycle of, okay, how are we going to make this work just a little bit longer? And yeah. um, so we've been able to, to kind of navigate through that. Um, but it has just been something where we've, we've, we've been able to rest in the provision that God has given us to be able to say, okay, we know that this was what you were called to do. You were called to be a stay-at-home mom and uh, we don't know how it's going to work. Yep. Um, and so we had to have just faith that he was going to work that out. And each time he came through and, and I will say every time we got comfortable, it did seem like there was a little, something would come up that would force the reliance a little more. Yep. Um, but then, you know, we would be able to settle in and, and it's amazing provided for. Um, yeah, I think having that faith component, trusting, believing in God, um, there's also a saying that says necessity is the mother of invention. Like mm, it's mm. like suddenly we just got to figure it out. That's, yep. that's what's going to happen. Uh, that's kind of how we uh, approached it with all of our kids. Someone said, why do you have six kids? And I said, cause I didn't want seven like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes. When you're done, you're done. That's, yes. That's it. And uh, yeah, I think we approached uh, private school that way it was like are you insane we have six kids we're gonna start private school now mm. like that is never gonna happen and uh and it was just one child at a time one semester at a time and it's like amazing when the lord shows up yeah um, so living it out that way all right so let's um uh so then you had uh london yep had london so you got a boy and a girl you're good I do. Yep. And honestly, I, I truly was good. Yep. Um, at two, I was like, I'm done. And my wife was like, I think I want to have one more. And I will say to any just dads out there, if your wife wants one more, just be prepared that you're probably going to have one more. You're losing that. Yeah. Fight. You're not going to win <laughs> that battle. Um, but no, I, it's interesting over time. Uh, we had actually moved towards the middle. I had become more and more open to, okay, maybe one more. And she had probably, I think part of it being, you know, just being a mom and, and, all that comes with that and the exhaustion that comes with that. And, um, you know, she had gotten to the point where over a few weeks she was like, I don't, I can't keep up in this moment and I don't know how we could do anymore. And so she had moved actually towards the middle as well. So mm. here I was on one polar opposite side of the fence. I'm saying, no, I'm, I'm, I was done at one, but two's great. Yep. We're good at two. And then she was saying, I think we could do one more. And then we both moved towards the fence where she's, she's pretty much ready to say we're done. And we actually had a conversation on Christmas Eve one year. We said, Hey, I think we're done. Uh, my wife said, I, I don't think that I have the energy to keep going right now. And at least not right now. Um, and then on Christmas day, we had Christmas with family. We're traveling back to Dallas from our hometown and um, she gets real car sick and she's, we'd had the stomach bug a couple weeks before. And she was like, I just have to eliminate that. It's not, you know, that, you know, it's, it's the stomach, bug. That is so the stomach bug. Yeah. yeah, that I can prepare myself mentally that if that's what this is going to be. And, um, so she had me go get a pregnancy test and I kind of laughed at it. I was like, there's, there's no way. 
Um, and I go get a pregnancy test on Christmas evening and uh, take it home to her, give her the pregnancy test. And we found out that we're no longer on the fence. We're having a third <laughs> one. So um, we knew we knew right then we were like, okay, this is great. This is perfect. We were both on the fence of whether to have a third or not. Now yep. we've been pushed off the fence. We are having a third. Yep. Um, and then it was, okay, that's, that's going to be it for us. Wow. So. Yep. All right. And so let's, let's kind of dive into that because your third one, uh, you had some challenges, some complications along the way that you've kind of learned of and figured out. So kind of walk us through that. Yeah, we did. Um, we, you know, we were going in for our 20 week ultrasound appointment, um, where they do all of the anatomy scan and everything. And, uh, I, I remember this day pretty vividly. It was raining. It was, uh, just kind of a nasty day out, and we had to travel a good distance to get to our uh, OB appointment. And my wife, the whole way, just kept expressing that she felt something was off, and she was almost in tears in the car drive there. It just was like, I, I don't know what it is, but it just, I feel like something's off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess moms just get that feeling, because I was driving thinking, I don't know, I think it's probably fine. I feel good. Yeah. <laughs> My body hasn't changed at all during this pregnancy, so I'm feeling great. Yeah. Um, and so Very we get, empathetic. Yes, yes. Um, well, I'm just trying to, you know, conversations that we had had of, you know, hey, you can't promise that everything's going to be okay in yep. all of these situations. And so trying to make sure I avoided, like, promising that everything's going to be okay mm-hmm. while also internally going, ah, it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, you, don't, you don't really think anything's ever going to hit, hit you. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it happens to other people, but... Um, so we walk in and we're hit, sitting there doing the ultrasound and, uh, the, the ultrasound technician kind of got quiet, um, and eventually called in the doctor and we knew something was up. Um, and the doctor came in, um, and basically the first thing that we discovered is that she had a heart defect. Um, mm. and I, I honestly don't remember the name of the heart defect at this point, but they kind of walked us through it, um, and I know my wife just kind of broke down in that moment. Yeah. Um, I don't know that it had settled in on me what all that meant uh, yet. Um, and so we just kind of walked through that appointment and just tried to be there and be kind of a, a solid foundation for her through that. And uh, we, we then had subsequent appointments where we had to then kind of explore what that heart defect was all about. And basically the central wall of her heart did not form. Oh, wow. um, and so, you know, your heart usually, and if you have a, medical professional listening to this, this might be a bad description, but my understanding of it is that basically most of our hearts have two upper chambers, two lower chambers, and then there's a heart valve on each side. And so when the middle wall didn't form, she basically had one upper chamber, one lower chamber, Mm. and basically one heart valve that was pushing through the whole thing. And so the blood flow was chaotic coming out of her heart to her lungs and to the rest of her body and things like that. And um, as we explored that, um, we kind of had some people that told us, hey, just so you know, about 50% of children that get diagnosed with this particular heart defect uh, also have Down syndrome. And so uh, we want to do some additional testing, do some just blood work, DNA testing to see if, if she has Down syndrome. And, um, you know, we, we've heard a lot of people in the Christian community will kind of avoid uh, any additional testing because they're like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the diagnosis is. Uh, there was one more advanced test you can do uh, that we did avoid because it can increase the likelihood of a miscarriage, and mm. uh, we definitely didn't want that yep. regardless of, of whatever she may have. But we wanted to be able to prepare mentally for, okay, what, what are we in for? What are we, what are we walking through here? And so um, the testing did come back and confirm that she had Down syndrome. 
Um, and, you know, it's interesting if you look at the, I guess, seven years of our marriage to that point. When we had gotten married, I told my wife, I said, hey, I, you know, she was really open to having a child with special needs and mm. felt like she might have that in her life someday. Interesting. So you had had conversations we about had, that prior absolutely. to. Absolutely. And she was, she was very open to it. Um, I, on the other hand, just kind of told her, I was like, hey, I, I know how I am. I know, like, my patience level. And <laughs> I made the the fateful remark to say, hey, I, I don't think we're ever going to have a child with special needs because I know th- I think God knows I wouldn't be able to handle that. Oh, wow. Um, and <laughs> in, uh, in literature, we call that foreshadowing. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's just, you know, might as well just go ahead yeah. and <laughs> write, you it go. In, yeah, write it in your future. Um, but what's interesting is, is that God didn't wait till we had a child with Down syndrome to do a work on my heart. The seven years before that, he had placed so many things in our lives and in so many just things that we learned and grew from and um, to the point where when we got the phone call and the doctor told my wife, hey, your your daughter is a very high likelihood that she's going to have Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife hung up the phone. We were on, on our stairs and she just looked up and I, you know, cried for about 10, 15 seconds. And the response for both of us was, hey, this is, this is going to be fun. We're, we got this. Wow. Really? So yeah, this so is going to be fun. Yes, yes. Oh my word! So there had just been this big change. Um, you know, we had seen, um, we didn't know anyone directly that had Down syndrome or had a child with Down syndrome that we interacted with on a frequent basis, but there had been enough people placed in our lives that we could see from a distance yeah. um, that had a child with Down syndrome, um, and just the joy that they experienced in their life, um, yep. the joy that that child brought to their family. Uh, even someone that you and I work with that took me out to lunch and said, hey, I just want you to know um, that, you know, when I walk through this, there, what I've learned is that there are things that my kids have learned uh, from my child that, that they never would have been able to learn from me right. and without having that child in our life. And um, those types of things all were just resonating where I was going, okay, this isn't so bad. We, we've got this. This is going to be okay. That's amazing. Um, so it was... Uh, I think our story is pretty unique from other people. Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, think about my own self and selfishness and that. I, I, I don't know if I wouldn't be devastated by it, right? And sure. I think a lot of people are, and I know a lot of people consider abortion. They consider all kinds of things when they find out that there's a, you know, something that's out of their control or out of the norm yeah. or what, whatever, right? And, um, yeah, so that reaction to me is just so uh, out of the ordinary. It's like, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, honestly, out of the ordinary for me probably as well, if yeah. you knew me seven years prior. Right, so right. Um, now I, I, I say all that to say like, it was not a cakewalk going through everything. I'm sure. Um, because. Because you still had the heart. The heart defect. Issue. Yeah. The heart defect still weighed on our mind a lot. Um, that probably is the part that caused the most fear and anxiety of, of um, you know, there was no promise for what we would have when, when, you know, they basically told us, they were like, when she's in the womb, she's safe. When she's born, that all changes. Um, the, Mm. the safety that she has in the womb goes away. Right. And it becomes a problem when she's born. Okay. So you want to talk about dreading a birth, a birth. Exactly. Like there's this, it's this weird feeling. You're really excited to meet this child that your, your wife is carrying while also on the other hand, you're going, well, the, the kid is safe today. Like, yeah. Like today we have a child that is alive in the womb and, and is safe, cared for. And um, so 
you know, we had to just take every day as like, okay, we're taking one more day. One right. more day, we're going to celebrate her life and yeah. enjoy the time we have because we don't know what we're going to have long term. That's amazing. So is there a surgery or is there, or, or do you live with it or how, what, what was the prognosis? Yep. So uh, basically she was, um, she had two options. Um, they do the surgery in two different ways. It happens as an infant. So the first version is that it's a two surgery process. So about seven days after the baby is born, you do one surgery. And then that kind of sets things up to hold out until you can do a more, um, a more permanent surgery at like the six month mark. Mm. The other version is um, some doctors will try manage it and try and do the surgery closer to six months when the heart is stronger. Um, okay. Our cardiologist sent us down to Houston. It was the number one pediatric cardiology clinic in the country. Um, and so we went to Houston um, to do the surgery itself. Uh, they do a one surgery process down there. And so it was about, she was about four months old mm-hmm. uh, when we were headed down from Dallas to wow. Houston to, to do the surgery. So a lot of prayer on that trip. Yeah. I, you know, what's interesting though, it wasn't by us though. Um, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, you know, I think we were so consumed with kind of the next step. Okay. What doctor's appointments next? What do we need to prepare for next? Um, and I think I learned a lot about what it means to walk through mm. grief. Um, although I don't know if I would call ours grief, but uh, it was walking through just a really tough situation. Yeah. Um, and we had so many people that came around us. Um, and I, I remember this one time, um, my, uh, my wife's mom um, was having a conversation with my wife and once told her, you know, she was like, my wife was telling her, we, I don't, I've always, I sometimes feel guilty. We haven't done a great job of just being in prayer because we've been so busy trying to get to the next doctor's appointment, prepare for the next thing. And uh, my wife's mom said, hey, I just want you to know that like, there's not a whole lot I can do, but that's one of the burdens I can bear for you oh. is <laughs> I can, I can pray for you and I can pray for Josie. And, yeah. uh, and she said, I can bear that burden. Like you just rest in knowing that there are a lot of people praying for you along the way. Yeah. Um, and so it was just this, it was just this beautiful time. You know, you, you hear pastors all the time say this, this kind of cliche of you're either in a storm, you're coming out of a storm or you're going into a storm. And uh, for seven years of our marriage, we had been always saying like, Hey, someday we're going to have a storm. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know what it's going to be. Um, and then all of a sudden we found ourselves in this year long process that most people would look at and go, that's a really hard year. That's your storm. And for us, it was our storm. Um, but what we found is rather than hiding away, um, God had just, we, we had prepared ourselves and God had prepared our hearts so much that when we walked into the storm, I always just phrase it like this. We, we got the opportunity to dance in the rain, um, Mm. as we walked through that. And there was just this closeness and this intimacy that came with having zero control. Yeah. And having to walk through that and um, knowing that there's really nothing we can do other than just keep walking, just keep waking up the next day and yeah. um, continuing down this path. And um, the reliance that we had on God in that year, we always talk about like it's the closest we've ever felt. And so now coming out of the storm, we sometimes have like this, you know, this inkling of, man, it, being in a storm is, is, can be beautiful. Right. Well, um, what a beautiful image, dancing in the rain. Yeah. Yeah, that's just, in the midst of it all, yeah. we can still dance. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Okay, well, then she had the surgery. She had the surgery. Uh, it went relatively well. Um, you know, everything, 
uh, w- you know, went very smooth um, considering the circumstances. Um, I, I think we were naive in the risk factors at play, which was nice. Um, we we kind of committed. <laughs> Easier to have hope when. Exactly. Yeah, we yeah. kind of committed from the very beginning. We were like, well, we're never going to go online and um, look for what is what is what is normal what happens when people go through this we're just going to say okay what are the odds all that exactly yeah. um you know there were some things we had to look at for researching hospitals and things like that but for the most part we were like hey we don't want to research this too much um we just want to say okay here's where we're at today let's just keep walking just keep walking through that yeah um and so it's kind of interesting the day of the surgery um we had my wife and I had one of the best days of our marriage um you know we we kind of came to the realization of this. We, we, I think in the beginning we had pictured our child on the operating table and just what she'd be going through as a small infant. And it mm-hmm. like created this really heavy imagery of like, man, that's hard to picture. Right. But the day of the surgery, we both talked about like we got there and as she was getting wheeled away, like she had zero fear. And the reason was because she was so young. She had no idea what was really going on. And we just talked about how much easier that made it for us that, okay, we're not having to watch a child that's being wheeled away, like screaming and screaming. Fear. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. She's just, someone else held her and walked away. And that was kind of it for her. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we went into the waiting room and we had, um, we had a commitment that day that we both said, hey, we're going to be joyful today. Mm. Um, and we're going to just take news as it comes. And we're not going to assume bad news until someone gives us bad news. Um, and so we had. Wow, that's, um, that's so good. Yeah, it was, you know, we sat there in the waiting room, probably felt uh, uncomfortable at times because we're laughing and joking and uh, everyone else in the room is in tears for their child. And so we eventually kind of escaped to the cafeteria. to <laughs> We be don't a belong more sen- here. Yeah, to be a little more sensitive. They're like, do you even have a child back here? Like, who are you here to see what's going on? Um, but it was just this day of us being able to to say, hey, we've got no control over this. Yeah. Um, and so we're going to let go and, and kind of wait to see what happens. That's a, that's so amazing. Um, I mean, the Bible says, you know, cast all your cares on me. The Lord says, you know, don't spend a minute worrying, all these things. And and you you did that. You lived that. And that's so much harder to do than to say. <laughs> yeah. And I, I will... I will add, I think part of it is like that God th- did that through his people. Um, yeah. We had so many people that came around us in that time and uh, were willing to just kind of bear various burdens. I mean, I know I mentioned the one, yeah. um, but there were so many different things that people came around and did and just to, to care for us. And um, so God used his people in yeah, a lot of ways. Community, as well, for sure. Obviously, was very valuable to you. Yeah. Which means that you had spent some time actually in community prior to all of this. Yeah, but even, we were actually even at a new church, and a new church that really didn't even know us that much still came around us in that moment, which was really cool to see. That is cool. Yeah. Nice. But yeah, so her surgery went well. Yeah. Um, we never got bad news that day. Um, Praise the Lord. Yes. Every yeah. time we got an update, it was good updates. Um, you know, we... I think coming out of that, we saw a lot of friends go through the same process, mm. um, the same surgery, and we saw results that didn't necessarily mirror ours all of the time. And yep. um, I think we realized, like, how naive we were and just, you know, walking through that. Um, but it was, it was something that helped us cope was we didn't need to know what could happen. We needed to know what was happening. Right. Um, so That's living in the moment. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Tried tried to do that as best we could. Yeah. In, in that that time. 
Amazing. So yeah, how is her heart today? It's good. It, uh, you know, she, she, you know, not to get into too much of the medical stuff, but she has a risk of possibly having to have another surgery when she's older, 20, okay. 20s and 30s. Um, but as of today, she's on blood pressure medicine, and yeah. uh, she can run around, she can play, she can do whatever she wants, and she gets checkups, and that's kind of it. Cool. I mean, it's it's a maintenance thing, and yeah. it's a watch it thing, but she is just a child full of life and full of attitude at times, and uh, <laughs> so she's she's a lot of fun. Yeah. So what's the interaction now with your three kids and their ages, the way that they are laying out today? Yeah, so... Um, Again, six, four, and three. Yep. Um, you know, she is actually in school before my four-year-old, which is funny. Um, but, you know, I think the interaction, they are they are brother and sister, and that's kind of it. Now, I will say our family, we don't shy away from just calling out. Like, Josie is different. Yep. Um, Josie has something that makes her life different. Um, but London has things that make her life different than Easton's. And so understanding that— We're all different. We're all different. Yeah. And Josie's differences look a little different. Yeah. So we're not going to say like, oh, she's just like everyone else. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, maybe a little different in this area. Like, no, Josie's different, and we're okay with that. And um, her differences create a lot of value in what our family gets to experience. Um, the older two, they care for her and watch out for her in such a, an amazing way. Yeah. Um, you know, being able to. And one of the things that Josie doesn't like is like getting her hair brushed. For some reason, that is just oh, really? the worst part of her day every day. <laughs> um, and what I've seen is like Easton and London have found ways to help her get through getting her hair cut, regardless of what that looks like. And it looks different for each one. For uh, for Easton, it's running up and going, Josie, do you need a hug? And she'll hug him while she gets her hair brushed. <laughs> and he's just there for her. I'm here to distract you. Yes, yeah. he's just there for her. Um, and then, so cool. you know, London's is, uh, London will sit there and, and provide an example, like, Josie, like this. And she'll show what it like is like. Mm. And then that way she can, you know, then have it copied. And she might, like, rub her hand or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, but they just, they care for her um, as a brother and sister would. Yeah. Um, but they, they've learned what it means to have to sometimes slow down and, and be able to take extra time for different things. Amazing richness there. Yes. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, so you just recently uh, were up in New York, as I recall. Yes. Yeah. So what was, what was happening there? Yeah, so Josie has brought a lot of really cool opportunities to our family. Um, this one in particular was really fun. Um, you know, we um, every year National Down Syndrome Society does uh, this thing where they, you know, you can submit a photo and they select a few hundred photos and they rent out a billboard on Times Square mm. and uh, they select photos to be placed upon the billboard. And so uh, we have applied the last couple years, and this year her photo got chosen to be on the billboard in Times Square. And uh, so we found out a few weeks prior, and we were like, "We got to be there. We got to go to. We got to figure Square. out how to be there." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so we loaded up the whole family. We went to New York. Not a not a super easy uh, city to to transit Navigate. around with a family. Um, but we got to go and spend time in Times Square and all see Josie have her picture shown in Times Square. And it was just a lot of fun. And it's one of those things of just getting to celebrate her. They had something tied with it called the uh, National Buddy Walk. And it's a walk through Central Park. And yeah. um, we've done both regional and national ones. And um, every time we've done it, 
um, we I've actually carried her because um, she gets kind of restless in a stroller or uh, gets tired walking. And so each time I've carried her and every time she's fallen asleep on me and it's been this just beautiful thing in this event where we're going, hey, you know what? This is what we committed to. I remember holding her as an infant was like, I will always advocate for you. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever that looks like, I'm yeah. in for it. And uh, And it's just this time where, you know, most of the time she wants mom, but in this walk, I can usually convince her to let me hold her and she'll fall asleep on my shoulder as we walk. And, um, uh, it's just this time where I get to say like, Hey, no, like my responsibility for you is to help carry you through whatever life has for you. And, and this is one of those times where I just get to carry your burdens one more time and, and yeah. advocate for you in this, this setting as well. That's beautiful. Well, um, that's, that's just an amazing journey that you've been on and, incredible how you've stepped up uh in that regard uh and i know uh with easton he's a baseball player you're a baseball coach you you got all that yeah he's happening in your life as well yes he's he's played he's played four seasons of t-ball or baseball i've I've either been a head coach or assistant coach and everyone um love it i'm basketball coach right now for him and we're playing basketball i actually uh I asked him last last week, I said, what was your favorite part of basketball practice tonight? And he said, the whole thing, because you're the coach. And I was like, all right, Whoa. right on. So uh, Nice. Yeah, so it just, you know, it's one of those things. It was like this for my dad and, and me. Sports were our thing, and yep. it was how we connected. It was how we hung out. It was how we spent time together. And um, just getting to have that with Easton has been really fun, whether it's playing sports or whether it's watching them on TV and, and him start to pick up what the game is and getting into it has been really cool. That, that is awesome. Very cool. And then w- what's hanging out with London like? What? Yeah, London's, London's my girl. So we, you know, it, you know it's interesting. I, um, London and I got off on, you know, this start where we, we kind of had some distance in our relationship um, just because as she was going to the baby stage, it was easy with her being the second one for me to be like, well, I'll take Easton and we'll go to a park. And then that way you don't have to care for two of them. We'll just split and conquer that way. Yeah. Um, so I'm doing something. I'm doing something. Exactly. Yeah. It just happened to be with Easton at that time. And um, as she was going, as she was a baby. And um, what I found is eventually I got to this stage where she was like nine to 10 months old. And I realized that like, we didn't have a ton of a relationship. Mm. There wasn't like much that we had. Uh, relationship wise, I was really just the guy that came home from work and saw her for an hour before she went to bed. Mm. And I uh, think a lot of guys can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm working a nine to five job and commute. Like by the time I get home, it's six little after and we do dinner and then we start getting ready for bed. And that was her bedtime at the time. And uh, COVID actually became this really big catalyst for us where, um, working from home for a couple months as COVID um, went into effect, I was always seeing her between meetings. I would, you know, mm. see her between meetings. I would see her more in the morning for breakfast. I would see her faster in the evening. And all of a sudden she realized like, Oh, this is a man. He lives here. He lives here. This is some <laughs> man that's in my life for some reason. And, yeah. um, that's no, funny. our, our relationship just exploded. And, uh, I, you know, our relationship is different. Um, each one of my kids, I, I probably have a little bit different relationship. We kind of each have our own thing. And uh, for London, it's just about me just showing her, hey, this is how a, this is how you are supposed to be loved by a man is, mm. you know, I'm going to give you that example. Um, it is my goal just to show you what it means to be cared for, have someone be gentle and compassionate with just 
how much they love you throughout the way. That way, as she's getting older, she knows her value and yep. um, will be able to hopefully <laughs> select someone based on an example she's seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're bringing you're bringing back memories for me because my kids are all older now. But um, yeah, going to the daddy daughter dance and getting mm-hmm. dressed up and taking your daughter on a date and all all that yeah. kind of stuff to to model that and yeah. show that. So. That's that's really cool. Yeah, You've, right now she's she hasn't hit that age yet, but yeah, right well, now she's four. it's right. She's four. It's a lot of snuggling on the couch to watch, yep. you know, TV or YouTube or play dolls, you know. Yeah. So Yeah, you got to lean into what their interests are. That's right. Right? Yeah. I think you've done that really well. I think so often um and I see this a lot cuz I coach a couple of my kids and you see these parents who are trying to live vicariously through their children and you're like you're yelling at your kid. <laughs> so you want him to be in the NHL. I get it, but he's nine. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, the the goal here is that they actually enjoy playing and want to yep. come back next next season. Because exactly. you, you can't make it to the NHL if you want to quit. That's right. That's right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you hate it. Right? Yeah, it's funny. Awesome. So, um, obviously, we've kind of um, – you know, we talk about God, grit, and goals. And so how how do those three words kind of, you know, how does God play a, a role in your life? How has grit kind of helped you get through this? And, and what are some goals that you've kind of had? So we'll just kind of dive into each one of those. Yeah, for sure. So I always say, like, my first mission field is my family. Um mm. And as a believer, you know, you're always looking for, okay, you know, where is God calling me to do this or that? Uh, What is he calling me to do? And I think as a dad, I think the first realization is actually, he just called me to be a dad. Um, He chose which kids I would have. Mm. Um, He chose when I would have them. Um, My wife and I had a little something to do with it, but um, he chose when, when all of that would work out. And, uh, you know, I think it's just understanding that that's my first and primary mission field. And even working, you know, in ministry work as we do, understanding that, you know, even that is secondary to the mission, at which home. is being a dad at home. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, definitely have times have to have had times where I've lost sight of that or where it's been hard to maintain that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, actually, uh, before working where we work together now, uh, worked at a an ad, in the ad agency world and um, was working 78 hours a week when Easton was first born and when he was about six months old, uh, went through an entire week where I didn't see him from Sunday to Saturday. Oh, wow. Um, and that was just from working long hours and the fact that I would leave before he'd wake up and I'd be home after he'd be asleep. And after that, I, I basically said, okay, I was like, I don't know what the path is or where I'm going to go, but I know this isn't the long-term plan. Mm. Um and you hear so often people talk about, well, when I was on my deathbed, I thought this. I thought, man, I wish I would have traded more of my work hours or more of this for more time with our family. And uh, I'm probably- yeah, no one's saying I wish I had more money. No, when they're dying. No, no, <laughs> they're just, they're saying I wish I was healthier. Yes. Wish I was yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, right. exactly. And um, so I, I've tried to actually just go through that process of like, okay, like, hey, if that time comes even soon, like, am I? Where am I happy with my balance right now? And yeah. uh, the ad agency world showed me very quickly. I was like, this is not sustainable for what I want 
or my family and understanding that I had to make them a bigger priority in that. Um, And so that was kind of the first place I started is I just needed more time. Um, You know, you hear people say like kids, kids spell love, um, T-I-M-E. And, you know, we need quality time. That's right. They just need time. (laughs) They just need time. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't even always have to be quality. And there are certain jobs that will suck every moment they possibly can out of your life. Yes. Right. Yes. Like, because everything's urgent, everything's important, everything's yep. cr- crucial. Yep. You're like, so you've had a blowout moment. You're like, this has got to stop. Exactly. Well, and, and I think the marketing communications world facilitates that um, across the board. Yeah. Because uh, you're usually helping other people be equipped to do their job in some form or fashion. Um, or you're working in, in the ad agency world. You've got clients that uh, don't necessarily care about your timeline. They right. care about theirs, and yep. which is understandable. Um I would probably be the same way. Um, and so, you know, you're always trying to like figure out, okay, you know, is this, is this the right thing for me in this time? And so again, time is, is the biggest thing, just yep. understanding what it means to be time. And then I, I would say the thing that I'm trying to actually figure out right now is what does it mean for me to disciple my kids? Mm, um, and that's, that's, good. that's something I don't know that I have the answers to, cause I don't know that I've done it exceptionally well to this point. Um, but my kids are getting to the age where, they're about to be all in school, um, and I'm, I'm looking at it and going, okay, I've got to figure that out. Um, I've got to figure out what it means to help them grow in this area, and I'm still searching. That's that's good. Let's talk about that for a minute because I think yeah. that's, that's a really good question, right? So what have you kind of explored or what comes to mind as you think about that? It's like <laughs> we should do a Bible study or we should do like what? What do you think of? Yeah. Uh, well, you know me. I'm an, I'm an idea guy. So uh, yep. there are ideas churning all the time. Um, we, do, we do some little things right now. Yep. Um, there's, you know, things like being able to, you know, just read their Bible storybook before they go to bed. Um, you know, making sure that they are, that church is a rhythm in their life and that mm-hmm. they understand the purpose of it. Um, and then I think, you know, helping them to see um, how my wife and I are pursuing our relationship with, with Christ is, yep. I think, first and foremost, uh, I actually read just this morning, there was this uh, book I'm reading that basically talked about that people will learn from your example much more than they'll learn from your words. And so um, setting out to say, okay, well, we've got to, we've got to at least be, we've got to be doing it ourselves if yep. we want them to see it and be able to learn and grow from it and um, we've seen fruit from that. I mean, my son, we just had a conversation this past weekend where he said, why do you read your Bible so much? <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yes, and I'm like, I'm like, well, I'm going to keep doing this, yes. Um, and uh, we, you know, just was able to lean into, like, how important the Bible was to me and, and yeah. talk through that. Now, there are other things where, you know, where we have our kids apologize and ask for forgiveness if they've done something wrong. And then, um, you know, my son basically said to me, he said, hey, why don't you do that with mommy when you guys get in an argument? I was like, well, we do, but I probably should do it in front of you more because mm-hmm. clearly you're missing that piece. And so we've right, talked right. about that even in recent <clears throat> weeks of, okay, we've got to model that because we're telling them to do that, but they're not seeing Yep. mostly me doing it. My wife doesn't have to apologize near as often as I do. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like my house. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm apologizing all the time. But, yeah. That's funny. Um, and that's not even sarcasm. That's just because I screw up more, but yeah. <laughs> That's really good because, um, you know, with three kids, ages six, four, and three, um, you want to do things that are age appropriate, right? And 
I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I think that is the path. And you think about what Christ did with the disciples. They weren't six, four, and three. But he said, come follow me, mm-hmm. which means he was providing an example. Yeah. Right? He was just saying, come follow me. And, and I, will, I will show you. I will teach you. Yeah. Right? And, <clears throat> and who didn't do that? The rich young ruler. Mm-hmm. Right? He, he's like, I'm, I'm good. I can't, I can't give that up. Right? So I'm not going to follow you. But Peter, like, they dropped it yeah. <laughs> and moved on. And the rich young ruler had too much already going, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna model you. And I think you're you're spot on with that because I think sometimes we get too technical, and we don't realize um, that what the disciples wanted from Jesus was show me, mm-hmm. spend time with me. Love me and be there when I screw up, <laughs> yeah. right? And um, when I think about the word disciple, I've been leaning into this even with adult kids. It's like <clears throat> it is, um, well, discipline is a piece of that, right? And so with my kids being adult kids, what can I continue to show them? That I am a disciplined person. Mm that I am disciplined, yeah, right? And um, because we can easily, I used to think, well, I'm, I'm going to work real hard when they're young so that I can retire young and I can live the good life, the easy life, the slothful life, <laughs> right? And that's like, when you pursue that, suddenly years go by and you're like, have I just... Show, am I showing my kids now who are teenagers at the time that you don't have to work? Mm. That you can just sit around and drink all day? That you can just, it's, your, your goal is a, a lap of leisure? Is that what makes me happy? Is that what drives me? It's like, I realized, well, no, not at all. It's like, what do I do now? How many people just die after they retire because they have no purpose anymore? They're just not doing anything anymore. Whatever. I mean, this has been hitting me in in the head. And so, you know, I've been on this health journey because at, at the end of the day, God, grit and goals translates to healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's like, if you will do these things, if you will suffer instead of pursue the easy, because everything that you've ever done in your life that you feel really good about in your core, you suffered through because now I've done it. Right. Mm-hmm. And you think about what you went through with Josie, you think about what you went through. Um, those are hard things. And now when you end up out the other side and you're like, wow, look at us now, mm-hmm. you've become a completely new man. Mm-hmm. The old man has died and the new man has shown up. Right. And so <clears throat> this is your kids are children and there will come a time when they give up their childish ways, right? And they will learn to, like Josie and London, they're in, they're in the heart of selfishness. Easton's now needs to be coming out of that. 
friends are going to be getting along with others, socializing, all those things become super important Mm -hmm. because then by the time they're a teenager, that's all that matters to them. And you're like clinging to (laughs) remember me, like the, the, I'm remembering back, like the, the best threat to your child, if they're a teenager is that mom's going to show up to school and embarrass the (laughs) crap out of you. Like, (laughs) it's like, yeah. Right. So it's like, oh my gosh. Um, but I think this, this idea of, of modeling and it's so cool that they see you reading and what you said about maybe, maybe these conversations that my wife and I are having, maybe, maybe they need to be exposed to that a little bit. I think one of the greatest growth things, like we were always trying to protect our kids from knowing our financial distress or mm-hmm. whatever those things are. <clears throat> but actually when we shared it, it was like they, they saw us process and when they see your wife and you process together and you're not beating each other up, but you're, you're asking God, you're modeling it, right? When you see me, you see the Father. I only do what the Father says, right? This is, this is what Jesus says, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so it is in the pursuit we are. So when you're, when you're pursuing the easy life, you're not doing hard things. One of the things that we teach our grandson every day, Tobias, is do hard things. And it's like, he got sick. We need to take some medicine. We do hard things. I know you don't like it. This is the hard thing you're doing. Wonderful. You did a hard thing, right? And I think that there's, there's so much happening now with parents that want to make things easy for their kids. I'm going to call your school. I'm going to talk to that teacher. They're not treating you right. I'm like, are you kidding me? We do hard things, <laughs> and you're facing a hard thing right now. Yeah. And um, I was just having this conversation the other day with with a friend whose son's being bullied, and I'm like, <clears throat> we can go out and try and protect him from the world, or we can talk about mental toughness. In sports, we have mental toughness, but what do you do with a child that doesn't want to do sports? We should still teach mental toughness, Right. Like, that's a really important thing to get your head around. We don't honor teachers. We honor professional sports people. So what if you have a child who has the heart of a teacher, and that is their skill set? They're not recognized. They're bullied. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and so what can we point to? We can point to Einstein was bullied. <laughs> I mean, we can, right? It's, it's like, yeah. it's, it's, it's really interesting. So you, in this discipleship, um, the disciples were always screwing up and Jesus was like, okay, no, (laughs) we're not going to cut his ear off right now. This is not the, (laughs) this this is not what we're going after, (laughs) right? But uh, it's, it's having, it's having that heart and being, looking for those teaching moments and so I think you hit the nail on the head. You've rearranged your life um, in such a way where you said, time is a valuable commodity and I only have so much of it. And if it means that I'm going to make less and I can still keep my wife at home, I'm going to figure out how to do that, right? And so um, I think we want to put so much f- form around it or, or we make it just like, well, we pray at dinner, and so there we go. You're discipled. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> or rely on the church to do the work. Right. Hand it off to someone else. Yeah. And then yeah. we complain about. They're not doing it they're well. They're not doing it well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's hit me between the eyes. I remember thinking, we need to switch churches. Our kids aren't engaged in this one. And then I'm like, Lord says to me, how involved are you in the church? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> that funny. Good stuff. Good stuff. I think, um, yeah, when you are present and you care about what they're going through, through, and you're asking and talking, they will they will open up and they're and they're deep. Yeah, and you know we we have um, we've had great mentors along the way. I mm. think as well. Um, I think of, of one family, and specifically, it was my youth minister growing up, um, who is still a super close friend, and, um, you know, just learned so much from them on, like, what it meant to just kind of be, I don't know if this is the right word, but real and raw in front of your children mm. in terms of, like, being willing to have conversations that most people would look at you and go, that's a conversation you're having with the young child? Um, and it'd be like, yeah, they, they need to be prepared for this and learning from people that have dove into that and said, Hey, we're going to foster open communication with our kids. And, um, I even experienced that with my own parents my own parents, um, you know, we did not have, um, this is going to sound maybe contrary. And I don't even know if my parents would recognize that they did this, but, uh, a lot of families you would hear like the parent express, well, my kids can't talk back to me. And, uh, that was never really something in Mm. our house that we got in trouble with we could have we could have just as upfront of conversations and express opinions in front of them as they did with us and um it created kind of this willingness to be like you know you felt you never you never went through an instance where you felt oppressed or unheard or interesting um, anything like that throughout that process because it was like no we're gonna we're gonna show you that your voice has value and candidly I don't know that I would have done that well but my wife um does that really well where you know, when my son gets upset about something or, or my daughter or any of them get upset about something, I go, why do, why do they get so upset about something that's not a big deal? Like, how do we teach them that that's not a big deal? And uh, she always reminds me, well, it's not a big deal to you, but to him it's a big deal. He's little, so for him that's a big deal. And so right. learning what it means to even honor them and what they see as a big deal yeah, so that when that's things good. that come up that are a big deal as they get older, hopefully we'll be able to have those same conversations. Now, I say that. On the front end, I have no idea how it's going to work out, right? Like I have no <laughs> Later magic. On. Yeah, I've got no magic ball that says any of my parenting is going to work. So maybe that's a disclaimer on this episode of you know this guy hasn't parented for very long, only six years. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. hard stuff still to come. But, so I don't know. No, you're you're right. It it happens young, but because you know by the time they're thirteen, you it's you're pretty much done. Um, and I think that's we took a lot of parenting classes with six with six kids and what it one of the things that we learned is <clears throat> I think young parents give children too many choices. There's too much conversation. Um, and the, it, it's not, well, first of all, if you're going to give them choices, give them two, give them two choices and you love both of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. It's like, we're either going, you're, you're, you're not behaving properly at the dinner table. So you have two choices. <laughs> You can go to bed with dinner or without dinner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but we're but we're done in two minutes, so I'm gonna set the timer and on you go. <laughs> yeah, right. 
and uh, there's, there's, there's too much conversation, too many choices, and suddenly you're just like, like now I'm negotiating with a terrorist, you know, and there are three. <laughs> it's like, why are you talking so much? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm not sure I got down that rabbit trail, but I think the, um, uh, the inverted. So you want your kids thinking. I think one of the things, and I, I noticed this, in myself. So I'll, I'll confess something happened to me. So we have a grandson who's just turned six. He lives with us. And, uh, it was just he and I, and we're, we're sitting there and he was doing something and it wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted. And then I was just like, stop it. You know, it was just, Bruh. and all of a sudden he just broke down and cowered. Right. <clears throat> and I'm like, Oh, come on. You're six. <laughs> don't be a wimp. I mean, this is what I'm thinking, right? And I'm like, I've been there. Now, I've been there. Right. So, yeah. you know, especially boys, right? So you're, you're, and I'm thinking. I've been there a lot, by the way. Not, it's not like a, every once in a while, it's like a yeah. constant, like, ah, oh, what do you mean? And so I, I realized like my voice was really loud. I don't raise my voice. I'm not a loud person. And I did. And he immediately cowered. And now I'm thinking he's a wimp, right? I'm just, I'm like, investigating my own thoughts now apologize to my kids like because I did that when they were young and I didn't I didn't realize what I was doing and now I do and I'm like the, the appropriate response isn't get up get back to the dinner table you know it's I got down on the floor with them and I mm -hmm. said I scared you didn't I yeah and I'm like I didn't mean to scare you. I'm sorry I scared you. I wanted you to get back in the chair, but I didn't mean to scare you. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, we had a moment, right? And it was like, you have, to, you have to stop. And I think that's the hardest part, especially when you're trying to get somewhere or do something. It's like, yeah. I don't have time to do this. Yeah. And, um. It's, it's recognizing that ultimately I'm in control of what's going to happen next. They're not. And am I setting up a scenario where they have an opportunity to win? Or am I just setting an up an opportunity where I'm trying to teach them a lesson? Mm. Right. And I was like, this is not the time to talk about those things. It's time to connect the relationship is the most important i was even thinking about this like christ died for us why for the relationship mm -hmm. like he was willing to give up everything for the relationship yeah right and it's like oh my gosh so that's actually super important yeah right and if i'm doing things that are not building relationship with my kids i am not being christ-like yeah right and it's so easy to fall out of that in a in a moment of aggravation because I'm on a short fuse and you're not doing what I need done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, and they're just subtle little things. Right. So anyway, I'm, yeah, no, I, I read a, I read a book. Um, Easton was probably like two years old. Uh, it's a book by Paul David Tripp called parenting. Mm. Um, which that's probably a good idea to read a parenting book if you're for sure. For sure. The <laughs> title is exactly what it's about. 
Um, no, but as I dove into it, he basically goes into what it means to be a gospel-centered parent, mm. um, and like how to how to parent where the gospel's at the forefront, and yeah. where we're so often parenting out of convenience. Um, and this convicted me because it was like the rules and the structure we set up are actually to like help make our day more convenient a lot of times, yep. and we're actually giving our kids consequences and things like that around things that are actually things that are just going to improve my life rather than that are going to teach them gospel centered truth. So I'll give you an example where, where this like book played out. My son and I, he wanted to go outside and play. He wanted to go for a walk. Um, I guess it was, it was actually a ride on his tricycle. And so we're going around and uh, I'm re- We're going to make one block around the, the neighborhood and we're walking and he stops his tricycle and gets off and he wants to play with sticks. And I'm trying to convince him, like I'm getting frustrated. I'm saying, get back we're on, on a mission on a bike. Yeah. Get back on your tricycle. Let's go. Yeah. We got to keep moving. Um, and it was, it, this happened as I'm going through this book and I sat back and I go, what are you doing? Like he actually, like he, he didn't want to come. He wanted to ride his tricycle, but that wasn't his goal. His goal was to go out and have fun. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, fun for him switched from riding tricycle to I want to play with these sticks. And nothing about that harmed anything around. There was no danger to that. There was no harm to that. There was nothing that it interfered with other than I thought, hey, get back on your tricycle. You didn't see that on the agenda. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't on there. We, we, we didn't have a We've stop planned in. Yeah. And, um, and so here I was trying to make this rule to keep him moving because I'm used to keeping moving on a walk and not realizing that we actually came outside to have fun, and that was the fun he wanted to have. Interesting. And so that just hit me kind of really early good. on is yeah, yeah. this piece where I was going, okay, these some of these rules and frustrations are actually coming from a place of he's he's in my way, like in my selfishness as a dad. Yeah, what I think should be happening right now. Yeah, that's not what's occurring. Yeah. Um, and so how do we get him back on the path of what I want to be doing with him Right. Um, instead of letting him – accomplish what our actual goal was which was just to have fun that's so good yeah it's not mine it's that book no yeah by the book because right right (laughs) (laughs) no but you adjusted to it right yeah because you think about um exploring your kids creativity as an example right because we talk about athletics but there's also the creative side right and you work with creatives and and it's like so you may not have an athletic child. You may have a creative child. Well, man, why are we trying to teach them to paint inside the lines? It's like, that's not what creative people do. Maybe they're just creative. <laughs> it's like, what? And uh, what you're talking about is submitting your agenda to their agenda and also keeping the main thing the main thing and understand mm-hmm. what is this. Are we learning to ride a tricycle or are we going outside to have fun? Right. And yep. it's like, Oh, how did I get those, the two things twisted? I think that happens a lot for sure. I mean, if you line up just frustration throughout the day of having a young child, whether it's, I mean, it's shoes aren't on yet and we're ready, ready to go out the door or, you know, the time it takes for them to get strapped into a vehicle. Yeah. Um, you know, these are the things that we get hung up on and that spiral our frustrations and create, those moments where we break and we, For sure. you know, we burst and now we're going to church and you're going to like it. That's right. That's right. And, uh, Damn it. yeah. So it's just like, 
you know, it's it's how do you let those little things go? And by no means am I great at it, um, yeah. but it it's just something that's like in the back of the mind, going, okay, hey, realize where they're at. Yeah, you know, they're they're not where you're at. You've had. Does everything have to be a game? I think that's pretty much the solution. I think so. <laughs> this yeah. is always turning into yes. a game. Yes, I can get my shoes on faster than you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Having that. Uh, yeah, it, it's a constant thing of like, how do I art, outsmart my six-year-old? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's funny. Good stuff. Well, um, so what? What's next for you? What kind of goals are you setting for yourself? What as a as a dad? What? Are, yeah. So as a dad, and I don't know. I don't know if I know my goals as a dad. Maybe I'm I'm needing to make more. Um, no, I think, you know, the biggest thing is is trying to figure out that discipleship piece. I yeah. think, you know, last year spent a lot of time thinking through what that could be and, and came up with some various ideas and haven't started on any of them. Yeah. Um, and so just trying to figure out, okay, how does how do I how do I lean into that um, and be able to to figure out like what that looks like for my kids at their age and um I think that's probably the number one goal is, is how do I just disciple my kids better? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, besides that, it's, it's understanding that they're growing up quickly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. Before we even had kids, I told my wife, like my favorite age for kids is like three to five and I'm going, I've got three kids and two of them are about to be, one of them's about to be seven next month. One's about to be six. So out of that range. And then the other one is about to be four and I'm going, man, all three of mine are almost through that, yeah. That segment, goes going, fast. they're going, they're they're growing up quick, and uh, so it's it's just how do I how do I make sure that we're really intentional yeah. with um, the time we spend together and and all of those types of things. That's good. One of the things that um, kind of struck me, I didn't think about this when I was a dad of young kids, but you've heard it say that you're the spiritual leader in your family as a man, mm-hmm. right? And so what does that actually mean? What it means is that there is a spirit in your family, and as the spiritual leader, you are the one that actually creates it. And so if there's a lot of negative energy, if there's a lot of anguish, if there's a lot of frustration, if there's a lot of those things, you're the spiritual leader. And actually... You created it. <laughs> Just own it, right? Just, That's it. Yeah. Like, I used so to think the spiritual leader means I have to pray and I have to do these things and I got to do all that. And it's like, and actually what the word says is that you are the spiritual leader, period. And so whatever is going on and whatever is present in your home, you, guess what, buddy? It's on you. So if there's chaos, I created that? You created it, that? right? Like, no, I didn't. It's my wife. It's my kids. It's like, no, it's you, right? And I think... Oh, that's the thing that we have to own. And that like, because I can actually change it. And, and what you said and what we were just talking about leans into that hard. It's like what my agenda is to control the situation and do these things. And it's like, Ooh, not my will Lord, but yours be done. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, Hey, I think we need to time out. I think we need to stop. I think we need to pray. I think I need to stop yelling at my grandson i think i need to get on the floor i think i need to <laughs> yeah. right and, and it's yeah that's that's really and i'd never thought of it in that way before 
that you are leading because you are the man. And yeah. it, it, and if you if you will lean into God, you can only give what you've received. And so if you're not in his word, if you're not reading Paul Tripp's book, if you're not, you know, learning on your own, then you can't, you're dry. You, you can't give. And so it is, it is from the abundance of the heart that we do that. So if you're drained at work and you're, and you're getting home and you're like, I got nothing left. It's like, of course that's what's happening. So, so we've, we've got to make these adjustments. You've made some adjustments, right? You've gone through hard things. You've accomplished a lot. Um, yeah, I think it's in recognizing that only you could change your job. Yeah. Right. It's like that, that's on you <laughs> and you did good for you. Right. And, uh, yeah, it's a harsh, it's a bit of a harsh reality. Yep. And, um, but guess what? Tobiases do hard things. And that's why that's such a beautiful thing. It's like, yeah. what would Jesus do? He would suffer and die. Yeah. And on the third day, he'd rise again. Yeah. Right. And so you're going to suffer. Your old self is going to die, but a new one's going to take its place. And it's a constant, perpetual version of that. If only we could do it in three days, though, every time. <laughs> hey, it's three days of hell, right? <laughs> <laughs> then you come out. Yeah, you're going to want to timestamp that spot in this episode for my wife. She's really going to want to lean into that part where I'm... I'm The spiritual leader? That's right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think our wives kind of come in kicking and dragging going, you should be the spiritual leader, but yeah. you're like, I am. The problem is I'm completely failing at it. That's the problem, <laughs> right? I, I'm going to have to own that. Good stuff. Dance in the rain. I'm going to remember that. That's yeah. if you go, when you're going through a bunch of hard stuff, dance in the rain. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say the only way that's able to happen is if you're prepared for it, though. Yeah. So that would be... You did the groundwork. Yeah, you got to be ready to walk into that. You, you know, know it's coming. Yeah, Um I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this one thing because it, it fits right into that when you just said you got to be prepared for it. So there's a story in the Bible <clears throat> where the disciples are out and they're making it happen now, right? They're mm-hmm. out there and they're laying hands on people and, the, you know, but then they run into this situation and they're like, we can't fix this one. And I think as a, uh, a dad comes to Jesus and they're like, and, and Jesus heals this uh, boy. And he meets with the disciples after, and he says, they were like, what happened? Like, we thought we had it all figured out. And he's like, this one only comes out through prayer and fasting. Mm. Right? You remember that scripture? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Jesus didn't stop and pray and fast before doing that. But he always prayed, and he always fasted. Mm. He was always prepared. So if we want to do the things that Jesus did, we have to do the things that Jesus did. Yeah. Prepare ourselves. Right? And it's in that it's in that preparation because it, we think for some reason that when we become a Christian it's like, okay, I've got it all figured out. Well, Done. did did that work in baseball? No. Right? Does that work being a dad? Right? It doesn't work in anything. No. Right? So we have to do the reps. Right? And so back to what is discipling our kids, it's, it is you going through the reps. 
And what I'm realizing when I went on my health journey is I had to do the reps. I had to change my relationship with food so that it wasn't just uh, pleasure. It was fuel. I had to change how I thought about myself as used to be an athlete, that I am an athlete. Still am. I'm slower than I was, but I'm still athletic, mm-hmm. right? And what athletes do, they get up in the morning and they exercise. It's like, oh, I guess I better do that, right? Yeah. And none of that's fun, <laughs> right? And it's like, this is what I mean. It's discipline to, to do that. you telling me you don't have the same feeling after you've scored a goal as when you have to wake up early and right. go exercise? And all of that is alone, <laughs> I get up, I got up at 4.45 this morning and did sit-ups and push-ups and took a cold shower and, you know, played two hours of hockey. That was the fun part. Yeah. I'm still looking for the exercise that gives me that, that feeling, the, you know, the <laughs> successful feeling. Yeah. Go to the batting cage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Take out a 70-mile fastball. Well, good stuff, Jason. Uh, really proud of you. Thanks so much for sharing. Um, I think uh, it's just so clear that the Lord is working in your life, but more importantly, you're listening, you're leaning in, uh, you, you're, you're in the thick of it, um, and you're recognizing that time is going by fast. Yeah. And so that will help you cherish these moments because it does go fast for yeah. sure. Flying by. <laughs> well, thank you all for, uh, leaning in and listening in. And if you're, uh, going through a you know, any, any advice to somebody that maybe, you know, is, has a special needs child or is, you know, has just learned of that or anything that you would share in closing, you know, to, to encourage somebody that may be going through this? Yeah, I mean, look for the joy in it. I mean, it's there. It's, it's there in every situation like that. Um, you know, my, my wife and I look at it now and we go, hey, if we could go back and would we choose this for Josie and our family and we say absolutely we would. Like this is what makes her uniquely her. Um, we have had so many experiences in our family that we would have never had without her. Um, she is unbelievable. Um, is, is it hard at times? Yeah. But is parenting Easton and London hard at times? 100%. Yep. Yep. Um, is it a different hard? They're different things. Um, you know, there's more doctor's appointments, more things like that. But like there's so much joy in being able to to parent her. Um, so it's, yeah, no, it's, just look for the joy in it because it's there. That's awesome. All right. Thanks, man. Yeah. All right. Um, so if you got something out of this, then follow us. Uh, subscribe to the Dad Mode Podcast. And you guys have a great day. Mm-hmm.